Ready. It is our Father's world, and we are striving to walk in His ways and to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this morning we are going to continue in our study in the, the Gospel of Luke. Going to jump ahead a, a chapter to Luke chapter 5. And this is a, the calling of Jesus' disciples happens in this chapter. First he calls Simon and Andrew and John and James from their fishing. And then after healing a, a, a leper and a paralytic, we get into our focus today, which is going to be the call of Levi and, and what comes of that and the disagreement that arises between the Pharisees and Jesus and their, their questions to him about why he does a few of the things he does. And uh, we're going to be looking at especially his answers and how that applies to us in our lives as we strive to live and to walk and step with Jesus. So let's go ahead and, and we'll just walk through this passage together. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, after that is what Luke begins this with, after healing the, the paralytic. And if we'll recall, Jesus did it by saying first, your sins are forgiven you. And only after that saying, get up and walk, is a proof that Jesus had the ability to forgive sins to the Pharisees that were grumbling about him. And so after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi. Now, all the other Gospels call him Matthew, but it was pretty normal for people in, in Jesus' time to have more than one name. And so for, for whatever purposes Luke had, he's calling him Levi. And uh, there's a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And, and this is just as outlandish to the Pharisees uh, as healing a paralytic and telling him your sins are forgiven. Because a tax collector was a person that was as, as far away from God as you could possibly get in the eyes of the religious leaders. Because he was in league with the Romans and he was helping to oppress his own people. And yet what we see in verse 27 and 28, Jesus says to him, follow me. And then the immediate response in verse 28, he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Now, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, uh, all it does is say he got up and, and followed. But Luke adds this idea of he left everything, which is a carryover from earlier in, in verse 11 when uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John left their boats and left everything to follow Jesus. And so there, he's creating this pattern of he left everything and began to follow him. And not only that, in verse 29, we read that Levi gave a big reception, a, a banquet for Jesus, for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people uh, who were reclining at the table with them. And, and so straight off the bat, immediately what, what Levi does to follow Jesus is throws a party. He, he's leaving everything behind and he's throwing a party. And he's throwing a party for Jesus. 
And he's bringing all of his friends around, all the other tax collectors and other people, others that are uh, viewed as sinful. He brings them all together, and they're having a big old party, and they're reclining at table with him. And, and one of the things I, I think is neat about this is if we think about Levi following Jesus, then, then his actions of, of throwing a party are in keeping with his new faith and his new desire to follow Jesus. He, he's leaving the tax collecting behind. He's leaving all that behind. He's going to follow this new teacher, this um, rabbi. And his first act is to throw a party for him. To celebrate the fact that he's following him. To, to, to bring more people around with Jesus. There's, there's an indication here that Levi at some point must have heard or known something about Jesus prior to this event going on. That, that first off, that he's making this choice, but also that he's bringing all these people around. But that's a, that's a normal first step. and In fact, it's very important in, in following God and following Jesus or, or coming to a, a, a repentance that we first need to be associated with other believers and, and with Jesus. Association is the first step to repentance. If you think about how a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, first, they have to be around people that already believe. Whether that's your family or some friends or some neighbors, some people you know. There have to be the people that invite you along who say, let's share this with you. Association, to, to just be around, to be uh, connected with those people who are already following Jesus is the first step for a person to come to the place where they repent. Now, Jesus understands that. Levi apparently understands that. The people who don't seem to understand that, though, are the Pharisees. And we see what they say in verse 30. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? To, to eat and drink with people was to associate with them, was to show that you were, had something in common. The Jewish people were not allowed to go into the house of a Roman and to eat and drink with them. Even just to enter in their house would show an association which would, in their minds, uh, make them unclean. And the same thing would go for tax collectors who have associated with and have joined the Roman Empire against the Jewish people. But here you have Jesus. He's at the banquet. He's letting Levi throw a banquet for him. He's happy to have all these tax collectors and sinners around him. And the Pharisees are sitting over there saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and drink? Not just eat, but eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Now, they're really talking about Jesus, but they approach the disciples in this way. And, and when you think about the fact that when Luke is writing this book, this is well after Jesus has returned to heaven. This is after the, the church has spread throughout the known world. And there's probably some issues and questions from the Jewish people. Why do these people who are following this sect of Jesus, why are they associating with Gentiles? There's all that negativity of you can't associate with these other people. And so he, he addresses the question to the disciples. Why do they do 
this thing? Well, they do it because Jesus did it. And Jesus does it, as He says in verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician. It's those who are sick. In other words, he's saying, I eat with tax collectors and sinners because these are the people who need me. I'm not going off and eating. Now, he was willing to go and eat with Pharisees. He had the same open-door policy. He would willingly go into the door of a Pharisee's house if the Pharisee invited him in. But he had the attitude of, I am here for those who need me. I'm, there, I'm here for those who are sick, not the healthy. I'm like a physician. In verse 32, he continues the idea, and he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus understood that sinful people needed to be around Him. They needed to be associated with Him if they were ever going to come and repent. The Pharisees had the idea of, we're good, you're bad, get yourself straightened out, and then you can associate with us. Jesus' mindset is, is, there's no way you can get better unless you're already associated with Me. I'm holy, you're not. You need to come and be with Me so that you might become holy someday. He has come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, He's not telling the Pharisees, you guys are okay. What He's saying is, He has come to call those who recognize themselves as sinners. He is not here trying to make the righteous or those who think they're righteous better. He's not there to associate with them. He's not there to partner with them. Now, if they'll come to the place where they'll recognize they're sinners, they can come to Jesus. And in fact, later on, he points out to them that their, their righteousness is a self-righteousness and they need repentance just as much as the tax collectors. You, you see that, that Levi understood. He, he wants all of his friends to come and be with Jesus. He wants them to hear from Jesus and to grow. And, and that's a natural response when you have been saved that you would want those that you have been around to be saved too. And that you would work to bring them together. He understands that they need to be associated with Jesus so that they might come to repentance. Not only that, but he's throwing a party. Levi's throwing a party and, and celebrating Jesus. And, and the, the Pharisees, they can only grouse about it. They can only question it. Jesus has no problem with it. In fact, Jesus understands, and Levi seems to understand, even though the Pharisees don't, that joy is the appropriate response to Jesus. Joy is the, the right and proper response when a person is saved. When a person comes to know who Jesus is. We often respond first with uh, guilt and dread and shame. But when we believe in Jesus, when we respond to Him, when we follow Him, the proper response is joy. Throw a party. How can you not throw a party when you've been saved? And when other people... Are saved. Jesus tells us that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who needed no repentance. Heaven celebrates. Why don't we? And, and, and that's exactly the idea that, the, that moves on from this focus on repentance in verse 33. They, meaning the Pharisees, 
said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. The, 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 the accusation is continuing. Why are you eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? Not only that, the disciples of John fasted and prayed. The disciples of the Pharisees fast and pray. But your disciples are eating and drinking. Where's your, where's your proper religious behavior? Where's your proper religious dourism? You know, where you're all sour and you're repentant and you're sorrowing over the world. Why don't your disciples fast and pray too? Why are they eating and drinking? Well, because joy is the appropriate response to Jesus. And Jesus even tells them that. He says, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. Can you? The, the language in the, in the Greek, the, the King James Version kind of carries it over because the King James actually says the, the attendance of the bridal chamber. The, there, we lose completely the idea that this is a place. That the, uh, the attendance of the bridegroom is literally the sons of the bridal chamber. The, the people who would serve. You can't make those who would take care of the bridal chamber fast while the bridegroom, the one who makes it a bridal chamber, is there. The, the, the place uh, that they are in is defined by Him. Our lives and the place we are in is defined by Jesus. You can't make the bridal attendance, the bridegroom's attendance, fast while they're with Him. It, and the idea, the picture is, here's your big wedding. You know that, that in Jesus' time could go on for days. Everybody's celebrating. And, and you can't expect that when the bride and the bridegroom are celebrating and, and, and having a great time that His groomsmen, for lack of a better idea for us, are all sitting off at the corner not eating or drinking but fasting and praying. I guess that would be one of those clever little tricks, you know, of, oh, he's, you know, we're going to hold awake getting married kind of an idea. But that's not, that's not what should be happening in a real wedding, right? They should be celebrating. They should be going crazy on the dance floor because they're happy with their friend. That's the idea that Jesus is bringing out. How can you possibly expect the friends of the bridegroom to fast and pray? while the bridegroom is with him. He says now in verse uh, 35, he says, but the days will come and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Now, now is he talking about our days? Are we supposed to be fasting and praying like the Pharisees? No, the, the, the days will come means there will come a day when Jesus' disciples will have reason to fast and not to rejoice. And that happened when He was taken to the cross. But the, the, the life of a believer in Jesus should be one of joy and rejoicing. Now, in Luke, uh, in, the, in the book of the Acts uh, of the Apostles, He does record the disciples fasting and praying. But it's in connection with, the first time it's mentioned, is when the, when the, the church in Antioch is, to, is praying over what God's leadership would be, and the Holy Spirit comes to them. They're fasting and they're praying. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the special work I have for them. 
Later on in other chapters, Barnabas and Saul, as they're going through the... Um, on their first missionary journey, they're going through the different towns and villages. They fast and pray, and then they lay hands on a select group of men to become elders of that church before they move on. So fasting and praying is a part of our, our worship and our actions, but it's different than the way John's disciples fasted. It's different than the way the Pharisees fasted. Their, their fasting and prayer was praying for, well, I think the Pharisees personally were probably just doing it for show, being righteous, and this is what righteous people do. John's disciples are fasting and praying, partly because they're out in the wilderness, they don't have much food, partly because they're praying and hoping for the consolation of Israel to come. But Jesus' disciples, Jesus is here. Salvation has come. We, we live in the rest that was promised the Israelites when they crossed over the Jordan River. They were supposed to enter into God's rest, but they never did. But those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we have entered into His rest. And so fasting and praying is not in the same spirit for us as it was for the Pharisees or the disciples of John. Because we have the fulfillment we still hope for the final fulfillment of it, but we have salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. And so now we do it to seek His face, not to, not to try to invoke Him to do something for us, but in, in focusing ourselves. And even when we do, we do, we do it with a spirit of joy because we have, we have the Savior when you walk with Him. How can you expect those that know Jesus, even though he has gone back to heaven, he is still here with us. And that's how, that's how Paul and Silas are able to praise him in prison. Because he is still with them. And they have joy because they are walking with Jesus. And so that's part of being in step with him is you recognize he is our hope and our joy. Not only that, Jesus really wants the, the Pharisees to understand that he is doing a completely new thing in life. And much like Levi, remember Levi said he left everything behind and he got up and began to follow Jesus? Luke did that on purpose because you, you cannot add Jesus. You must break with the past. Levi, Levi didn't say, okay, I'm going to worship Jesus on the weekends and I'm going to work in the tax booth on Monday through Friday. Levi got up and he left the tax booth and he followed Jesus. You cannot add Jesus. We, we can't just say, okay, well, I'm just still going to do all these things. I'm just going to add Jesus in on it. We can try that. You may have tried that. I know I tried that. But it doesn't work. You must make a break with the past completely. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody, when they become followers of Jesus, they've got to quit their job. You know, I remember reading about a woman who decided to divorce her husband because she had read about cast off the old man, take on the new man. And No, that is not what Jesus is talking about. Some people you may have to. When, when I came to faith, I was in the Marine Corps, and my desire was to become an officer and to have a career in the Marine Corps. And so at first, when I came to faith, I was just adding Jesus onto that. And then I got to a place where I realized that wasn't what God 
was calling me to. And following Jesus meant not staying in the Marine Corps. But I knew other guys that were following Jesus that were in the Marine Corps, and that was what God had called them to do. And, and they were full steam ahead. But that wasn't what he was calling me to do. And so I had to make a break with that past. But even if I hadn't done that, I still had to make a break with the past because of the way I used to live my life prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We have to break with the past. Levi and Simon and, and Andrew and James and John, they make that break. They, they quit fishing to follow Jesus. Levi quits the tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. He invites his friends, his other tax collectors and other people that would still associate with him. And he invites them to follow him in following Jesus. But see, the, the, the Pharisees, if anything, they like Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He is very similar to them in faith to a certain extent. But they want to add him to their ways. And, and where he doesn't agree with their ways, they want him to tone that down. They want him to fast and pray like they do. He, they want him to associate only with the good people like they do. But he's not having anything with that. And in verse 36, he, he's telling them, uh, Luke says, he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Nobody, I mean, just imagine if you went to the store and you bought a brand new shirt just so you could cut a piece out of it so you could patch up an elbow of a shirt that's gone thin. That, that's ridiculous, right? You just bought a brand new shirt why would you cut part of it to patch, to patch an old shirt? Reminds me of a story about Einstein who uh, was looking, he was trying to make something, but he needed like a paper clip, but he, he only had a bent paper clip. And so he started looking for an item that he could reshape, you know, reshape the bent paper clip. And then he found a paper clip that wasn't bent up, and he unfolded it and he started shaping it into something so that he could make the old one shaped properly. And his friend that was with him who had been looking for a paperclip with him was like, what are you doing? It was a good paperclip. Why don't we just use that one? And Einstein said, once I get an idea in my head, it's hard to let it go. To the point where he took an old, a, a, a good paperclip, destroyed it so that he could try to fix the bad paperclip. Because he had this idea in his mind, he had to fix it. That, that's the ridiculousness of, of buying a brand new shirt, cutting a piece out of it so you can patch the old one. It says nobody does that. Nobody tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, you've destroyed the new one, you've torn a piece of fabric off of that. But not only that, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Literally will not be in harmony with the old. The word match there is um, the word symphoneo, where we get symphony from. That a symphony is all these different instruments that play together and they make, they sound the same. They go together. And he's saying, you know, if, if you cut an old, a new piece of cloth and put it on an old piece of fabric, a garment, it, it won't match. It won't be in symphony. What, what will happen in our, you know, is, is that the, the new one, when it 
goes through life and when it gets washed and scrubbed, it will shrink and it will rip away and you'll destroy both. But you, one of the things that Jesus is saying here about this garment is, is you're already destroying the first garment, the new one, by trying to cut a patch out of it. But not only that, the patch never works right for the old one. Now, now what is he saying there? He, he's, saying, he's saying what I am doing and how I am going about life and my ministry and what I am calling people to follow is a new garment. And I'm not about to cut a piece of it out and try to patch the old garment of Phariseeism. I'm not going to try to take what I'm doing and patch what you all are doing. It's worthless and it's pointless. It'll destroy both things. Not only that, he says in verse 37, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. You, you, in Jesus' time, they would use animal skins. They would use fresh animal skins. They would pour uh, the, the, the grape juice into it and then as it fermented, the gases would bubble and it would expand. Now the problem was once it expanded, it, it, it could handle it. The skin would, would be uh, stretchy enough that it could handle that. But you couldn't do it but once. If you put new wine into that again, if you finished up that wine, you put new wine into that same skin, it's already been stretched once. So when it starts to ferment and the gases start being released, it would burst that old wine skin. So you just don't do that. You, you, would, you would lose the wine and the skins would be ruined. He says instead in verse 38, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So it's, it's, it's necessary to leave the, the old behind, to leave the past behind. It, it's necessary, and, and this has gotten me to even thinking about things like the Reformation. You know, the idea that, that Luther and, and, and those other reformers, that they could somehow reform the church. You can't. What you can do is you can start a new one, which is what they did. And over time, what we see is that it really does not work to bring the new ideas into the old format, but instead they need a new place. We're seeing this right now. I read a statistic that was talking about that in a very short period of time, I forget the exact date, but one-third of all Southern Baptist churches will have been planted in this century. That, that the, we're getting to a place where overwhelmingly a large number of churches within the, the convention are going to be new churches. And, and that makes sense. You know, if you, it, you, there's nothing wrong with the old but as, the, the, as, the, as society has changed, as ways of communicating change, as ways of worship have changed, and that patch on that old garment hasn't worked. But a lot of churches are, are growing in areas where other churches are dying. And I think it has to do with this, this idea, this principle that you, you can't Tear a piece of cloth from a new garment and attach it to the old. You can't put the new wine in an old wineskin. It just, it's destructive. 
Jesus is looking at it with the Pharisees. What he's calling the Pharisees to, honestly, is give up your, your religious practices of being a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were good people at one time. At one time, you know, that we had, so you, you, you had, prior to the Romans, you had the Greeks were in charge of the whole world, you know, under Alexander and then under his four generals. And within that time, we had the, the uprising in the Maccabees against the Greeks. And that's where we get, you know, the Jews get Hanukkah, the festival of lights out of. The Pharisees were the children of those guys. The Pharisees were the, the spiritual children of those Israelites who had experienced the uh, exile to Babylon. See, back in the day, prior to the exile in Babylon, the, the Jewish people, they were worshiping a whole bunch of gods. They were worshiping idols. They were going all sorts of crazy ways. Ever since the exile to Babylon, the Jewish people never, never struggled with idol worship again. And the Pharisees were a big part of it. They came out of those people that were like, we are going to stay firmly on God's side. We are going to be devoted to God in every aspect we possibly can. And they were. The problem is, is over hundreds of years, that devotion became legalistic. That devotion got to them to the point when Jesus showed up, God in the flesh, they could not recognize Him. And they got to the point where they decided, we've got to kill Him. What Jesus would have them do for all the good that being a Pharisee had been, He would have them give it up for Him. Leave it in the past. You can't, you can't add Jesus to being a Pharisee. You can't add Jesus, honestly, you can't add Jesus to the temple worship. He fulfills the temple worship. He completes it. One greater, Jesus said, one greater than the temple is here. He doesn't fit into it. And after He is here, there is no longer a need for the temple. That's what He is calling them to. But Jesus recognizes in verse 39, He says, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For He says, the old is good enough. I know what I get when I have the old. I know what it tastes like. I know what it does to me. I don't want the new. The new might not be so good. The new might taste funny to me. The new might have a different reaction in me. What he's saying there is, is not saying, hey, it's great to stick with the old. What he's saying is that no, what happens is people who have held the old and have liked the old and have tasted the old, they're not as willing to accept the new because they're holding on to the old. You've got to let it go. We have to break with the past to follow Jesus. That's what Levi did. He, he, he broke with the past with being a tax collector and he left it all behind to follow Jesus. And that's what we have to do in our lives. To, to leave it behind to follow Jesus. That may and, and it can be different things to different people. It can be uh, places and work in some situations. Sometimes it can be our, our view of ourselves and our our, our image. It can be our practices and things that we do and say. But we have to break with the past to follow Jesus. We can't just try to add them on because it doesn't work. 
And I know that the idea of you know, walking in joy and, and celebration and feasting is quite a departure from last week's God will take you to places of hunger. But they don't go against each other. Because we can have joy in the Lord and we can have spiritual feasting even in those times of spiritual or physical hunger. And, and His taking us to those places is part of our faith in Him as we leave the things behind. It's part of our growth in Him. And so I encourage us as we, as we embark on 2024, as we think about following Jesus, are there, are there aspects of your life where you're trying to hold on to what was past and you're just trying to add Jesus on? Or are there aspects of your life that you can look at and you can say to yourself, you know what? I've got to break with this. I've got to let it go. Because I want to follow Jesus. What might that be today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning and the opportunity to be together and to study Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You've called us to follow You, to believe in Jesus, to hope in You, Lord. And Father, we pray that You would help us to be children of light, children of the new, not holding on to the old, but walking with Jesus. We pray, Lord, that You would give us the joy of being Your disciples, Your children. And we ask, Lord, that You would show us in our hearts, are there things that we are holding on to that we are not letting go? It could be past hurts that we need to forgive and move on. It could be an image of ourselves and a desire to be a certain person that You have not called us to be. Lord, is there something in our lives that we need to let go, that we need to give up all, that we might follow Jesus? We pray, Lord, You would show it to us and that You would give us the ability to let it go and to give it up for Him. We pray and ask these things today in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.